The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. I do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. You want answers? You can't handle the truth! The problem is having the right worldview. And acting upon it. that gives men and women the truth of what is. Welcome to Truth Time with Pastor Monty, a show where two pastors from different generations talk about truth in today's culture. At the top of the show today, let's go ahead and spread this content by liking and sharing it and making sure that you're subscribed to our show. And for all of you on YouTube, hit the bell so you can be informed of all upcoming shows. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty broadcast is a part of the Lafia Bible Fellowship's online podcast network of shows called the VRM. If you're interested in this ministry or our other shows, you can check us out at abfpdx.org, where you can access more resources, donate, and learn more about ABF and our local church in Portland, Oregon. And now that all of that is said, I'm Pastor Josh, the senior pastor over at ABF, and your co-host for this show, and this is Pastor Monty. Welcome to Truth Time. I'm Pastor Monty, and across the table from me is Pastor Josh. And we are going to be talking about a number of different things. Uh, Our format uh, is set up so that we cover four different topics uh, in roughly a 15-minute or so integral. So our first topic is uh, the Christ Factor, and we're going to be dealing with the Book of Colossians. Last week we were uh, we kind of laid the foundation for getting started again, and we were in the book of Colossians and we were looking at uh, uh, chapter one, uh, verse fourteen before we uh, got into uh, fifteen, and so we laid the foundation for understanding that it is Jesus Christ who is the vehicle of our redemption from the sin that we find ourselves in uh, as as uh, God's creation. So we won't go into the the details we have in other broadcasts. We won't go into the details of man's condition in regard to sin and the fall and all that that has taken place, except to say that that is man's condition. And that is the condition that Jesus Christ came to uh, deal with, for he is uh, our redemption. Now, the Apostle Paul is dealing with, in Colossians, uh, uh, just as a way of reminder, he's dealing with the issue of Gnosticism uh, that surrounded the region of, uh, at the and the church at Colossae uh, in particular was having to deal with this. And so his, his, uh, his underlying theme in this book really is dealing with establishing that uh, Jesus Christ is is uh, superior to uh, this teaching that had begun to slowly crept into the church and if if you study church history if you if you uh, for example the elders when they were looking at uh, the theological development of the church over time 
this is one of the areas that was the most uh, powerful that they had to combat uh, as the church was beginning to grow. Was there was there was uh, a desire to want to uh, blend together um, the understanding of who Christ was with this philosophy of Gnosticism. And so the Apostle Paul is separating those now and uh, making some very clear statements about who Jesus Christ is. And so let me, uh, with that, let me read for you just uh, verse 15 and, and the following, and then we'll, uh, we'll talk a little more about that. So starting at verse 15, the Son, that is Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he may have supremacy. So let's go back and let's take a look at this for a little bit because there's a there's this is a uh, this is a mouthful. <laughs> uh, but 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 notice if you as you look at this verse, notice that the emphasis that the apostle Paul is making is that uh, Christ is first in everything. He's, he's uh, first of all, if, if we want to know who, who God is, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. Now, just from a purely empirical standpoint, um, lots of people would like to know what Jesus looked like. Sure. And, when, and whenever you whenever you uh, see pictures of him uh, uh, during the Renaissance or whatever, you know, you see this kind of uh, effeminate, girly type, uh, you know, long hair and a soft chin and and that type of stuff. I don't know if I would classify that as effeminate, but well, it's it's not robustly manly. Well, it was for the culture that it, that it was made in. Yeah, perhaps. perhaps no, no, actually, he's. He looked kind of like a girly man from okay. some of the from some of the Renaissance pictures that I've seen. But but if you go <laughs> if you go back and you look in the Psalms, the Psalms uh, there's passage in Psalms that talks about the fact that he was uh, uncomely, that he was not handsome to look at. Right. And uh, Jesus was a Jesus was a working man. Mm-hmm. And so a working man without power tools. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he was a carpenter. And you know, we're spoiled today cuz you guys that are carpenters out there, you got all your cool little power tools. And don't get me wrong, I love those power tools. But uh back in the day if you were a carpenter, uh, first of all, you didn't call up uh, Lowe's or Home Depot or right. or you know, you, you went out and you got the wood. So you you harvested the wood yourself. You cut down the tree. You you cleaned it all up, and then you you split the wood as you needed it to be done, not with machine, but by hand. And then, um, as you begin to work the piece of wood, 
uh, you were doing your drilling and, and uh, various other things with uh, primitive type tools. And that's why you see a lot of uh, old furniture, for example, is uh, tongue and groove where, you know, they, they take the pieces and they make them fit without the necessity of nails or anything else to hold them together. So Jesus was a, was a carpenter. He grew up as a carpenter and that's kind of rough and tough. And so he was, uh, you know, he was probably muscular and, um, and again, the scripture gives us the indication that he wasn't, uh, handsome as it were. Um, that being said, there isn't any place in scripture that we know today of actually how Jesus looked. Now there have been attempts, um, like, like the shroud of Turan, for example, mm-hmm. uh, there, there have been attempts to make computer mod or, um, c- computer imaging, uh, to give an idea of what Jesus might've looked like, but, uh, we don't know. We don't know. But what we do know is that um, who Jesus was was a visible, uh, a visual, uh, so a physical representation, but also spiritual and more importantly, an emotional representation of who God um, is uh, for man to be able to relate to. Okay, guys, I think the internet just crashed. The Google is down and the Mevo is down. So. Wait, it's presumed. We're good. It just says the internet is reconnected. Okay. <laughs> it just okay. said that, but it just crashed, and I was like, oh, no. Okay, anyway. Okay, so um, we it's been confirmed to us that the internet is working, so if... Yeah, it's if, back on. Okay, so so um, did you want to add anything to that before we move on? I, mean, I don't want to belabor it, but... I mean, the, the term there, when we're talking about the visible image of the invisible God. We're talking about Christ as basically being the imprint of God on nature. Yeah. Um, that it's kind of the, like the idea of like a signet ring where, um, which is an old school thing that people used to use. They would, you know, like they would have a ring and it would have a print on it that was given just to the King. Um, or maybe like if you're a, you a know, Lord, a high rank, yeah, a high rank. And then you could take that ring and imprint it into something like uh, wax. And it would be something that, that showed that you had actually put your hand on that letter. And, and that's what Christ is. The, the verbiage used there is that he is the way in which we see that God has interacted with us. So, yeah. But and and I just want to say specifically because Paul is harping on this particular subject that the the incarnation is a holistic experience in the sense that it's not that he is the visible image of God in the sense of like some sort of projection or holograph or something hologram or something like that where it's like, you know, we needed to see what Christ looked like, but it it's it's his imprint on on nature is holistic in that he had a physical body um he had all of these characteristics that that were necessary the emotional depth of a human being the 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 physical nature of a human being the the spirituality of a human being all of these things were necessary to impact the course of humanity um 
but it was it was God's imprint. So he in this is part of the mystery of his nature is that he is both fully maybe a better way to say is not fully but truly he is both truly god and truly man right um yeah okay so um you know the apostle paul goes on to talk about the fact that so now now what he's doing is he's laying a case specifically and putting christ above everything and so he makes his case specifically by saying, for, for in him all things were created, the things that are in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, he's making a case that, that uh, Jesus Christ uh, has supremacy over everything created, which, speci which specifically addresses the issue uh, that was being presented uh, in Gnosticism. Mm -hmm. so, so he makes his case and he presents this. But, but this, it's fascinating. It's always fascinating to me um, when we look at his uh, final statement in this, in this thought pattern where he says, for he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Um, there's a, uh, years and years ago, I listened to a speaker, Charles Chittick, and he, he was a NASA scientist, and he, he, uh, he was a creation, he was a creationist, and, and one of the things that he talked about is he talked about um, how how uh, the world was made in an instant with the word of God, and that uh, he, and so he talked about these things called radial halos, and how these radial halos were were uh, captured uh, as uh, w within a less than a second as the world came into being, according to what Scripture has to say, in it's only in recent times, it's only in recent times that scientists have been able to understand how atoms and molecules and all of those things work together in order to, you know, in order to, for us to have what we have. But what they still cannot figure out, they, they understand the workings of it. So they understand how, uh, you know, atoms circulate and but they they still don't know how they're held together, and here we have in scripture the very uh, explanation for that, that all things as we understand it are held together in Jesus Christ. Now you know for you scientists that may sound simplistic, and yet you still can't give me an answer as to how all those things work. And so I I love this passage because it you know it, it again it talk it speaks to the mystery of the creation that we're surrounded by and who Jesus Christ is in that process. Well, <clears throat> now yeah. you may have a different take on it. Well, I I, I'm thinking about the radio halos. I think a better illustration of that would be the the way that atoms behave, and specifically that they should fly apart from each other. We don't know why they don't. Right. And that's a that's a thing. But the way that I I view God is through the lens of a storyteller. And so I think of 
the protagonist of a story. And if you take the protagonist out of the story, the whole story falls apart. And so that's, that's how I view this passage. I don't, I don't really think of it as a, as a, you know, description of like how things work. Although I think that that's true. I do think, especially if you look at quantum theory Mm -hmm. and you talk about, um, the difference between, uh, light waves or not wait. Yeah. Waves and, uh, something else. I can't remember. Anyway, but there's a there's a there's an idea in quantum theory that things have to be observed in order to to be in existence and the things that aren't observed particles and waves. That's what it is. The things that aren't observed don't exist in the conventional sense. And you look at um, what is his name? His cat Schrodinger's cat. Uh, Do you know that experiment? It's like it's called the slit experiment. But basically there's a if you put a cat at the end of a tunnel and then you have like, you separate your eyes, you put a division between your eyes, right, right. they're able to measure the, the, the waves and particles when, uh, as light travels and it doesn't, it doesn't alter until the cat is being observed. So the question is, does the cat exist or does it not exist at the end of this tunnel? It depends on whether it's being observed. I'm being really like uh, sloppy about this because it's very technical. But the long and short of it is something needs to observe things for it to come into being. Well, yeah, because then you have to take into consideration, you know, your vision and how, you know, do you have astigmatism and okay. And other so <laughs> it goes back to that ancient question about, you know, if a tree falls in a forest, does it make a sound? Well, yeah. quantum theory might suggest that it doesn't make a sound. Oh, I guarantee you it does. Well, that's the thing. Why then? Why then do we have? Um, why do we have like a, a a law of induction, for instance? Why? Why? Why is reality observable? Why? Why is it that uh, things continue after a certain point? We know, for instance, again, that the universe is only made up of so much energy. And you are recycling the, the universe recycles this energy. And that's why they say things can't really be destroyed, but there's only so much space. And so there's this theory that, you know, you can't keep putting things back into the, into the universe because you're, you're going to take up too much space and overload the system. And so the way that the universe has like comp has worked through this is by buffering so if you ever play a video game, I know that's not your thing, but when you play video games and you look out into the distance, things are blurry. And it's because it, the reality of that world, the coding of that world hasn't actually drawn those objects yet. And what they're saying in simulation theory, I'm I'm pulling from a bunch of things, but what they're saying in simulation theory is that's because those things don't actually exist, not in the conventional sense, because they're not necessary to be observed. Yeah, and and you can get so the the and Josh's point of discussion is that there's a lot of discussion among scientists and various other people who try to understand the world in which we live in, and some of them try to do it with an understanding of of what Scripture has to tell us, uh, and are uh, theocentric. Others, uh, you know, have no idea whatsoever. They just try to understand the world as they discover different parts of it and then theorize well, I'm, what I'm saying how it is might apply. There's a compatibility there because on the deeper level, the veiled level of the magic of, of the world, what they're discovering is that they're, 
there needs to be a prime observer. Right, and and they would say that and God is a prime observer. Well, we would say that God is a prime observer. Right. They don't know how that works. Right. You but, know, but it's some it sort works. of it's some sort of weird tenuous logic, uh, like the weeping angels in Doctor Who. It's some sort of weird tenuous logic where you know you observe something and I observe something and we all observe something together and all of these things like basically turn particles into waves and so then things stay in existence because there's a resonance there um but i would i would gesture conjecture that that there is a prime observer and that is god that god is the prime observer and that he tells a story and the protagonist of the story is christ and if you remove christ from the equation then everything falls apart mm -hmm. uh and when God decides that he no longer wants to observe the story, then the story folds in on itself. Right. And I, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that uh, theory of how it is that you look at that. It is a point of interest for discussion. But from a theological standpoint, the reality is that the Apostle Paul is simply saying that um, Jesus Christ is before all things, that all things are held together through him and by him. So creation as we understand it is sewed up in, the, in our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who he is as an individual. Now you might extrapolate that even further to, to uh, then take into consideration that when we have a new heaven and a new earth, with Jesus Christ being the central focus of that new heaven and new earth, that's, the re that's one of the reasons why everything that was known will be destroyed and, and a new creation will come about. Yeah, I think that why, this, why it's relevant, why it's important for today is specifically this Gnostic theology, this Gnostic philosophy that's been creeping in to the church at large and that has always been trying to creep in yes and specifically that the world is not necessary that that the that the holistic experience of being a human being is not necessary and that the prime method by which we understand things is through a gnosis of ourselves right right by acknowledging the spark that we are that has traveled away from the gnosis and forgotten its ultimate divine godhood that's the that's the Gnostic uh, way of looking at things, and we see this in the church, for instance, as we we see this methodology and ideology creeping into the way that the church perceives things, um, specifically in regard to this focus on self, this idea that you know God God saved us because we have an ultimate value that is somehow not dependent upon Him. Right. And, and, and over the course of time, as Josh said, it's been slowly creeping during the 80s and, and well, even before that. But basically there was and still is a movement that has been within that process trying to establish that mankind is uh, in the process of recognizing his own godhood. Oh yeah, I mean and that's New Age philosophy is was basically based on that. But but the the Apostle Paul is putting all of that in perspective, right? And saying you know Jesus Christ is 
uh, above all things and all things are held together um, through him. And, and then he goes on to say this, and we'll conclude this section with this. He goes on to say this, that he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that everything he might, so in everything he might have supremacy. Now, here he's establishing in his line of thinking the importance of understanding that um, that the the church, uh, who whom Jesus Christ is the head of, is a new creation, and this is fundamental to us as believers to understand that um, when when we die to sin through the process of of a baptism when we die to sin and we are raised to walk a new life we no longer follow after the old adam whom we were trapped in sin through but but jesus christ as our redeemer has with his blood covered us and we now raised to walk a new life in him um, with him being the head, and he is later in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul calls him the second Adam. And so the Apostle Paul is, uh, is, is interjecting that theme here, uh, noting that he is the firstborn uh, of this uh, new uh, creation which, which exists through him and is held together because of him. Right. And that... We will leave off uh, for now with this section and pick up uh, next week, uh, continuing to look at uh, chapter one of the book of Colossians. Yeah, it's so much. There's so much there to unpack. Oh, yeah. Especially when you understand the environment that that passage was cultivated in. But it it is one of my favorite uh, books that he writes where he's dealing with these issues because as Josh rightly observed, this is something that is present in our culture today. This is not just highbrow theology that Josh and I are discussing. This is meat and potatoes. You need to understand this. Well, it, all you have to do is look at the concept of divine Christ or the um, or the Christ spirit that they talk about in in a lot of the charismatic churches. Mm-hmm. Like it's not something that it's not something that um, is has not been known by the church. Like, it's something that the church has been fighting since the beginning. And before that, quite frankly, the Jews were fighting it with things like Kabbalah. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're going to go in and we're going to take a look at uh, relationships. All right. All right. And (laughs) we're looking. Where's our Don Henley? We're looking to our producer to uh, cue us in. There There you go. go. That's fine. (laughs) okay so last week we left off with talking a little bit about the beginning of the understanding of the uniqueness the uniqueness of uh relationships in regard to husband and wife now the underlying current that we have talked about is that god created us as relational beings right and because he created us as relational beings um we uh, have uh surrounding our lives various kinds of relationships so we had gotten into uh up to the point of the marriage relationship when we uh, broke things off uh, last year and now have restarted uh for this coming season so let me just okay so first of all aside from the 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 relationship 
that is to exist between husband and wife is to be a unique relationship. All of the relationships that are present in your life are unique in the sense that they're there and, and you have aspects of them that you have to deal with. But from a scriptural standpoint, the relationship that exists between husband and wife is totally unique because what scripture talks about is that there is a bonding that takes place between men and women. And it's not just a, it's not just a, a, a spiritual, uh, uh, it, it is supposed to be, According to the ideal of Scripture, it is supposed to be a spiritual, emotional, physical bonding which takes place. And that is unique to any other relationship that, uh, that is presented to us uh, in Scripture or uh, mankind has to deal with. What would you say about... Okay, like let me, let me ask you to talk a little more about this. What would you say about the a scripture presents the relationship of the Trinity, right? right. Marriage is, right. is we, I mean, we talked about that, diminished yes. in comparison. So right. I, it is unique, but it's not supreme over that. But then secondly, like what would you say about like the mother and a child, for instance, well, where the child is gestated and then suckles and you know, so on and so forth. Right, right. Well, the, so, um, First of all, the issue of, of the Trinity. We're not we're not talking about the relationship that that is between husband and wife supersedes the relationship of God. Um, actually, in the what 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 Scripture presents is that the when a when a man and woman come together, um, the the nature of their of their bonding together and coming together. Is to be um, is is brought together in uh, by uh, the relationship they have with God as well. So the husband and wife and God, the three of them, then form uh, a relationship where they can uh, bond together in that process of becoming one. Mm-hmm. And the idea behind Scripture then is is that 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 uh, oneness as it were um is so tight that it's interwoven mm-hmm. and so the ideally uh, in a spiritual sense the the husband and wife understand who god has called them the roles that he has called them each to play within the marriage relationship to make the relationship stable and strong uh, just like in the trinity we have a a recognition that each of the members of the Trinity uh, have different roles that they play in order to uh, in order for there to be harmony within them, and yet they are still considered one. Mm-hmm. And the relationship that exists between husband and wife, um, there is still a recognition of of um, who they are as individuals, and we'll discuss that a little bit more. But but that uh, they are uh, to be so close and harmonious in their thinking uh, as they've bonded together that they that they act as one. Right. We're talking I, about, the, about the we're, yeah, we're the, talking about the ideal here. Right. right. I'm just asking about the comparison. Well, of, you okay, know, so, this is unique. There's nothing else like it. Like I'm thinking about moms out there and okay, like what their so thought is on that. I'm glad you're sensitive to that. So I'm the, just aware of it. The uh, the bond that takes place between 
um, the mother and her children, and we talked a little bit about this last year, but the, the bond that takes place between the mother and the children um, has is present, but but there is to be a uh, there is to be a breaking of that bond. Mm-hmm. the The purpose of the bond between the mother and child, in particular, is that the mother uh, addresses the specific needs of the child as the child is being de- is developing in being able to slowly um, through maturation become able to become productive and enter into society but at some point that that relationship that exists between parent and child is meant to be um, broken and reestablished in a different venue sure in and that is not to be the case with the husband and wife. Yeah. And I would say that that's the major difference between yeah. the two. I don't deny the fact that there's a unique bond between uh, mothers and particularly their children. In fact, you know, um, I've had this discussion before with um, my own spouse. And, and, you know, we've talked about the fact that one of the most difficult things that mothers face as, as their children grow uh, and you hear many, um, you know, if you've ever read like Dear Abby or Ann Landers. Or they're I, sisters, right? I know I'm, de- yeah, they're sisters, but, you know, I'm yeah. kind of dating myself. They, I guess they've got a new person now doing that. I don't know, but, but I know the personality is still happening. And, and they, and, and you read some of the things that uh, particularly older women write in about the difficulty they have, the difficulty they have with their children and the actions their children are or are not right. taking and how they grieve or how they, yeah. you know, they hang on to those things. Um, and uh, I, one of the most difficult things for women to learn and to understand is um, that relationship with your children uh, is, is to develop and that, that, that bonding breaks and then puts you into a different light in how you deal with them as they're older. Yeah, there's definitely a different polarity to the relationship of marriage versus child. Yeah, yeah and, and and I would just say that our society does has not helped uh, women within this this instance of learning how to to deal with that. Or children, right? Oh, yes. Our yes. society our society has tried to usurp the God intended. Um, Action, and I think that 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 polarity, and I think that that's one of the reasons why it is such a detriment um, when when you look at the relationship, you see such a negative impact when a uh, mother or a father replaces their spouse with their child. And I'm not I'm not yes. even talking sexually. Yeah, I'm I'm you know when they when they say things like, "You are my all." You're my everything. You're my one true love. Like <laughs> all this, all this sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, it's, yeah. It, there's an interesting phenomenon in psychology where a child, you'll have to look this up for yourself, but where if a child is doted on by their mother, um, nothing sexual happens or anything like that, but they're doted on by their mother. They're turned into the, the all the universe of their mother. When they grow older, they exhibit signs that are similar 
to having been sexually abused. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It's, and you see, you see the cliche of that in like movies where it's like, you know, this, this psycho, well, well, psycho. Yeah. Like sure. Psycho's sure. A good, sure yeah. Psycho is a good example, but you see examples of this cliches in this movie where the culture sort of has a zeitgeist of understanding that, you know, um, if a person's like really messed up, they probably had a weird relationship with their mother, you know, where the mother was like overbearing and like all this sort of stuff. Right. And the classic example, you know, not to pick on, but the classic example is like uh, uh, Jewish or Italian mothers or those that are just constantly doting on their children. Um, well, I, I can't remember the name of that movie, but uh, the one with uh, Sylvester Stallone and, and uh, Estelle Getty. Where, Stop or My Mom Will yeah, Shoot. Stop, yeah, yeah. Great, I mean, funny movie. I mean, but I think some it's real Stop or My Mom are, Will Shoot. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you're a, right. That's a terrible movie. Yeah, it's a great movie because you know, um, but it fits but all the cliches. It, yeah, it does. But the the point is, is that that relationship is is not the same as the relationship that is to exist between husband and wife, and it shouldn't be. And that's it's really important that we keep those two separate and not yeah, and and not crossing a sexual line doesn't mean that you're keeping them separate. No, no, not at all. Um, so when you go back to Genesis and you look at, uh, we're referring to the passage where uh, it's uh, ending in, uh, I believe, Genesis chapter 2, but it basically says that uh, the the man will leave um, the father and mother and cleave to a wife and the two shall right. become one. The, the, the word cleave there... Uh, really means to to be bonded together in such a way that they're intertwined, mm-hmm. and they and so if you if you try to remove them, you can't remove one from the other without there being the tearing of the uh, you know of the of both entities that have been cleaved together, and what Scripture talks about is that this unique bond that is exist to, to exist then between husband and wife is unique from all of creation because it is in fact uh, it's supposed to be a representation of God's uh, bonding to us as his people yeah and I think importantly you see when God talks about when God talks about the church Specifically, he uses that terminology that we are the bride of Christ, that we are, you know, that we're his wife in that sense, that there is supposed to be a molding of that as God, as, as Christ is the imprint of the invisible God, like the church is to be the imprint of the not present Christ. I don't know. I don't know how else to say that. Um, and there is that mesh that takes place where the spirit of God resides within the church uh so that we are fully incorporated into the into his body we are one organism with our spouse in god with our divine spouse don't take that term and make it mystical it's not supposed to be it's just descriptive yeah, um yeah but yeah so next week what we're going to talk about is we're going to explore this first so what we've done is we've laid some foundation again for today but what we're going to explore further then is okay so we know what scripture says we know that what the ideal and the uniqueness of this bonding that is there in that relationship but 
there are some practical things that we have to deal with because of our humanity in trying to make this work. And that's, that's really the trick. We understand from Scripture that it's a unique relationship, but, uh, wow, trying to make it work, that's a different thing because there are a number of different factors that have to be looked at. And so we'll begin discussing that next week. We want to jump over to our next section uh, today where we're talking. I don't know if Jasmine came up with uh, anything for this, but uh, I left. <laughs> okay. I was fast on the trigger for that one. Yeah. I, I left you all with a uh, question, a couple of questions in regard to what was going on with uh, the the uh, relationship, as it were, mm-hmm. that has been developed between uh, um, parents and the state mm. and uh, or or authorities or local authorities mm-hmm. and uh, and and the responsibility uh, for our children's uh, development and education. And the reason why that's an important topic is because we are now having some issues where the, uh, the not necessarily the state per se, but they give into this. But there has been developed, for example, through uh, national organizations like the uh, teachers union, the national teachers unions, um, where we have uh, one or two people at the head of these unions that are making decisions about how your children are going to be taught according to what they want to teach. And so we get into, uh, for example, uh, teaching, um, you know, teaching uh, that the family unit is, is changed now and uh, the family is not really a mommy and daddy, a gender of a male and a female and a mommy and daddy. The family can be made up of whatever. Um, we have the teaching of uh, critical race theory, where basically um, they're the, the, they're the proponent that, um, that either you're a victim or you're a victimizer. Sure. So if you're, if you're of a particular race, you're a victim if you're of another race, the, so white versus other persons of color. You're a victimizer, and and uh, and so we have uh, these types of social theories, which have worked their way into the school systems, and uh, there are many parents that are simply saying, um, "We're not going to put up with this," and um, there's a mass exodus happening. There is a mass exodus, and but but the state uh, the state now is fighting back and doing things like putting parents in prison because they voiced a view in opposition of what was going on. I could be wrong, but I think in, in Germany they're not allowed to homeschool. You know, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, England also has some very interesting views on uh, on this issue as well. Uh, Canada. It is illegal in Germany. Just looked it up. Canada is becoming more and more under, particularly under the leadership of Trudeau, mm-hmm. um, stepping on the rights of uh, Christian parents. It was only finally allowed in every state in 1993. Yeah, homeschooling. Yeah, I didn't know that it was uh, that that movement was 
only allowed in 1993. That's almost like uh, what? How long it took the Roman Catholic Church to state that the Earth was not the center of the universe? <laughs> yes, indeed. So the the question is, and you know, for some for some of you, this may may not be a important question, but but um, you know, if you grew up as I did, if you grew up in the in uh, and I didn't grow up with Christian parents. So I was a product of, uh, of the school system. I went through the regular school system, and we won't go into I my... I did grow up with Christian parents, but I also was a product of the regular school system. Actually, you were a product of a hybrid. <laughs> I'm just joking. Yes, by middle school, I was allowed to choose. Yeah, you were a product of a hybrid. But I, I did go to public school like most you of my life. You did go to public school for a large portion of it, but the difference is, is that... Your mother and I were heavily involved yes. in that process, and we would have debriefing sessions and talk about what was going on. I was just poking the bear. Yeah. Okay. Well, you got you got a response. <laughs> you go. But, but uh, what I what I started to say was that is that uh, you know if you're poor, if you're a common person. And you couldn't afford to send your children away or send them to specialized schools. Mm -hmm. uh, then you let your kids go to public school. And there was no thought, as it were, mm -hmm. in regard to private schooling because the educational system, you know, they uh, that's where you were well, sent was, away to learn. It was convenient. Yeah. That's the long and short of it is with the movement away from trades and into the Industrial Revolution, what were kids to do? They couldn't. They were too young to work in industry. They didn't. You know, the, all the people that were teaching skills. Tried. Well, people <laughs> people tried that, but uh, yeah. you know that got changed. Yeah. Uh, but they were too young to work in industry effectively, and then they were too too. There was nobody there to teach them in in the rural communities because those people were all in the in the inner city now. And so what happened? You know, they needed a place to go. That's also incidentally why by the 1950s they had the new that new uh category of teenager that never existed in the course of yeah you know yeah. humankind and so from a sociological standpoint what josh is referring to is uh the, the society has gone through changes and we went through an agricultural society to an industrial society and then after world war ii we begin to move into a consumer-based society mm -hmm. and we are probably fully now out of even the industrial part of it and into a consumer-based society. And so, again, the issue being, though, that uh, the education of children um, has uh, been turned over uh, to the state uh, in order for that education to take place. Right. And that education is not, so what is, what is uh, supposed is that the basic education, for example, if you homeschool your child, the only thing that, well, here are some little-known homeschool facts. The, it doesn't matter up until you reach high school as to how you test. What do you mean by that? I mean that what they're looking for is to, on the testing that takes place, uh, as far as the state is concerned, uh, grade school and all that type of stuff, it doesn't really matter. The cutoff point is when you hit high school. And when you hit high school, those are the things that matter as far as the state is concerned. Well, the state wants you to test. They want you to test. You, you, you are required 
to as so we have a it's not a homeschooling co-op but here at the church we have a education advocacy program that helps parents who homeschool and parents who have their kids going through mainstream public school as well um but there is a requirement for you to do state testing i think it's every two years um, but but what are they testing well hold on starting starting at i think maybe third grade i can't remember i'm not in charge of it that being said or at least i don't run the daily aspect of it that being said you don't actually have to turn in your test scores yeah Unless they ask for them. What really is important is once you hit high school age, then things change as far as the state is concerned. And really, they're only testing for two things. Uh, it's not... no Math it's, capability. It's more than that. Well, they've... Okay. But it's... At, it's, at it's, least from the days that low. your mother and I were involved, very limited. It's, it's limited. It is reading comprehension and math. Um, but that being said, honestly, like... That's the same thing in high school, too. Like, if you take your GED, you don't actually need all the things that they test for, you know, because right. GED is state testing, too. Right. You, you just, you don't need all the, superf the superfluous stuff that you get in high school, either. If you go through the mainstream high school program, they're going to push you through and, like, kind of force or at least shame you if you don't, you know, continue to take math every year, even though you're only required to take, I think, two years two of math. Two years, right. You know, uh, it's like that. Maybe three now. I'm not sure. I know it's it's changed a little bit. But when I was in school, it was two years. Uh, they may have changed some things around, but but yeah, the history and social science and yeah, all of those weren't necessarily true. Now, of course, the school that I went to, Benson, um, Benson Polytechnic, they required lots of extra stuff that if you did, but the, the thing that they held over you was that if you didn't pass certain things, like if you didn't pass biology, you were out. Well, that went out the door with no child left behind for public schools. Yeah, which is many, many years later. Along with Benson, I, I want to add, I think I drove by it the other day and it's like, it doesn't, doesn't exist. Um, but yeah. Yeah, so 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 the responsibility of parents, basically, uh, whether intended to or not, uh, basically was left to the state, mm -hmm. by and large. And it's only the last couple of years that you, as Josh said, that you have states that that finally allow for uh, some uh, homeschooling and or um, uh, certain charter schools. Yeah, well, and there's there's a bunch going on though with COVID. Like COVID has really well, that's what's opened some people's eyes to what's going altered on. Altered some people's perception about yeah. There's on the one hand, there's parents who are saying on this far, you know, on the far hand, there's parents who are saying like, "Whoa, teachers do an amazing job. I cannot do this." On the other hand, there's people on the other far side who are saying, "Really, this is." Why am I sending my child away? And my life and their life is much better by me having to have interactions with them. Yeah. So, yeah, the discussion's definitely grown quite a bit. So what we're going to do is is uh, next week we're going to continue this discussion. We're going to talk more about um, – at least we're going to talk about um, what what is a hybrid. I talked about the fact that, you know um, – as we became, as, as my wife and I became more aware of, of uh, our involvement in our children's education and the importance of uh, 
being on top of things. Um, how did we develop a hybrid? And then, of course, we have the program here, as Pastor Josh has alluded to, um, here to provide parents with help uh, for their children that are in the normal school thing. Yeah, let me just say as a shout out to people who listen to this in perpetuity or, um, you know, separately, you know, even if you're not a part of our church, you can reach out to our church. Uh, we have a great deacon. Her name's Heidi, and she's in charge of all of our external ministry type stuff. And she can talk to you about that program. Yeah. We yeah. built it in a way where we, um, where we wanted people to be able to build that within their own church communities. And one of the things that did happen with COVID is we had churches reaching out to us saying like, you know, we need to start something similar to this. How do we do that? So if you are somebody who's listening to this in perpetuity, you know, reach out to our church, abfpdx.org. Uh, you can email Heidi at connect at abfpdx.org, and she can give you information on this program. It's called the Cadre Program. Yeah, excellent. So next week we'll talk more in detail about uh, the Cadre Program. We'll talk more in detail about uh, what if you don't want to do that type of a program, but from a biblical perspective, how involved should we be in our co in our children's education and how can we help them and so we'll continue that discussion next week let's end up our time together today by uh, uh, going through some fun things with what's up with that Well, I got two lively uh, things to entertain you with today. All right. Uh, do you did you know that it's possible for somebody to get drunk without um, without drinking at all? Yeah, if you inject it. Nope. No, nope. you actually nope. can. Yeah. Um, like if you uh, if you uh, if uh, put, recent, it in, put uh, it in the wrong hole and they'll immediately get drunk. No, no, no. It bypasses no. the a, a no? recent okay. dis, a recent <laughs> discovery. <laughs> it does, no, I'm serious. It may sound wrong, but I'm telling there, you, if you put it in the wrong hole, specifically the no, output, this is not what we're talking about. Then it bypasses the liver, and the person immediately gets drunk. It's uh, that's how people die. Like. Frat party with stuff. with no external okay. stimulation okay. <laughs> whatsoever. All right, so no external input. It is possible for somebody yes. to get Another drunk. Another way that you can get drunk it's, is if okay, you have bacteria gosh. inside the body, and the bacteria inside the body ferments and makes them drunk. That's what we're talking ha -ha! about. It's, it's called yes. it's called antibrewery syndrome. Yeah, I, I I knew about this. And what basically happens is that uh, you know your you know that your body produces yeast and some bodies and, more than others uh, some bodies more than others and when you and and uh, all women are all 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 of us produce yeast <laughs> women have a tendency <laughs> to produce more yeast you showed, than men you showed your cards there <laughs> women have a tendency to produce more yeast than men and deal with that throughout their lives yes but all people produce yeast there is a syndrome whereby somebody produces too much yeast in their system. And when they eat carbohydrates, when carbohydrates are digested, what do they do? They turn into sugars. Mm -hmm. And when those yeasts in, the, in, the, uh, in, the, in your system, in your guttal area, in your intestines, when those yeasts meet those sugars... Yep. 
they begin to produce alcohol, which is released into the bloodstream, and an individual gets drunk. How did, so you just you just found out about this, huh? The stream has crashed, unfortunately. That's fine. We'll leave. It. It's still recording, though, right? No, it's completely crashed. Oh, that's lame. You just found out about this. <laughs> I saw. Yeah, I saw a documentary on it. A documentary, like a whole documentary. Well, no, it was a, a you know a, a deal. Are you bringing it back up? Yeah, I'm working on it. Okay. I so how I know about it is from watching like medical. Because we're not done yet. From what what I know about it is from watching like medical shows, like medical dramas. Yeah. And I can't remember. Maybe it was House or some other thing, but there was a. We're back on. Well, one second. Let me make sure we're actually back on. All right. On Facebook. There was a there was a guy who was a former alcoholic. And he swore. Yeah. All right, we're back. Oh, okay. There was a guy who's a former alcoholic, and he swore that he did not. You know, he did not he didn't drink. drink. Yeah, he didn't. And drink, it yeah. was a whole thing. And then he like went to jail because he got into like a drinking and driving thing. And it was like he had done this so many times. But then like, you know, the doctors, they figured it out because they really believed in his recovery and they couldn't figure out what it was. And the doctor figured it out. And it was like, in, yeah, he like was perma drunk or whatever. It's easy to solve, though. It's easy to solve because you can address the yeast problem. And you can address the carbohydrates problem. Right. So if you know that it's an issue, it's easy. But but there's only a very minute uh, uh, percentage in the population right. that have this particular syndrome, and uh, it's it's fair it's fairly new in its discovery. It's so unique. But yes, uh, I just thought that was fascinating. That you know, they're not lying. You know. Yeah. Um, it's pretty interesting. It's it is interesting. Here's uh, our last one that I'll share with you. It's kind of interesting as well. There's a uh, there's a farmer in Wyoming that wanted to develop his uh, silk farming business, mm -hmm. and he was using spider silk in order to be able to um, in order to be able to do this. Now you know I've never uh, heard of that. Well, silk um, is one of the strongest. Uh, f uh, uh, things from nature, um, you know, the Chinese use silk in order to make like uh, protective coverings for uh, coverings for their, uh, you know, for their uh, soldiers. Uh, you know, silk was used before Kevlar was invented. Really, uh, in bulletproof vests. Yeah, interesting. Very, very strong. So, so there's a whole industry that that it can be developed off of this. So this guy was trying to develop a silk farm and from uh, spiders. Anytime you talk about harvesting spiders, you just know it's going to go bad. Well, and it did go bad because the problem is, is the spiders would be aggressive with each other and kill each other. Oh, interesting. And so he wasn't having much success. Huh. So you know, being as it's modern times, yeah. Let's uh, let's try something different. So he took the the gene, the genome in uh -oh. the spider. Uh oh! Anytime you talk about harvesting spiders and you start talking about splicing, <laughs> splicing He's, DNA, that's he spliced. Not he spliced the gene that developed the silk into some goats. Uh. And 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 the goats in turn. 
the the ones that it doesn't happen with every goat. They sprouted four extra legs. No, for crying out loud, no, <laughs> no. But so the 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 silk though, if it, if it has, so they tested to see if it has a silk gene. If it has the silk gene, <laughs> the silk comes out in their milk. What? And I was so, going to say, does it come out their butt? No, That's no, it comes spiders. out their milk. No, it comes out in their milk. And so what they can do then, so they test first Have of all. Have you seen Far From Home? No. The new Spider-Man? No. There's a. <laughs> anyway, let me okay, finish yeah. just so we can finish. Yeah, never mind. But, but so what happens is, is that they test to see that the gene is present. If the gene is present, when they, when, when the goats uh, begin to be milked, they lactate and they begin to milk. The, the, the inside of the milk is. are the silk fibers. And they then take and take a process where they separate the milk from the silk fibers, and then they and then they uh, spin the silk in order to be able. Does to that use hurt it. the goats? No, no, it doesn't hurt the goats in any way. Have you ever been eating like a noodle and got it like stuck in your throat, or like where it's like it's like both in your throat and then out your throat? <laughs> Have you ever pulled a piece of string like through your nostril and out your mouth? I've seen people do that. I haven't done that. Okay, those feelings are just weird. Yeah. Like I can you imagine like having a string come out of your your Well, your again, nipple? it's in the it's in the milk and so they have to go through a process of separating it. But it's not like there's the it's, it's not like a single string, right? No, 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 no. Okay. No, no. So um and so they've been able This is really to, disturbing to me. They've been able they've been able to to uh to develop this to a point that they have more than enough silk that is being produced. It's like spider by these goats, goats silk. Yeah, yeah. Pretty okay. amazing. That's that's but you that's, just that's gotta, some end of the world you stuff. You just right there. gotta ask what's up with that. Yeah, you do. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you do. Well, that's our time for uh, spent well today. Wow. Uh, go ahead and close this out, <laughs> Josh. All right, that's. Nuts. Okay. If you're someone who's seeking answers and you want to know more about your faith, if you're new to Christ and the Bible, and check us out at abfpdx.org. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty podcast is a resource of Ale- of Alathea Bible Fellowship. Uh, we're in Portland, and we are we have a, a network called the Vigilance Radio Network, which is part of ABF's online ministry that provides helpful and interesting resources for the church, local and at large. If you are one of those who's enjoyed our service, like us, subscribe, share our podcast. You can always find those things on our YouTube page, uh, Facebook, when they're not crashing on us. Um, our handle is ABFPDX. So, uh, yeah, if you can take a second to do that and uh, subscribe, you will be able to stay up to date whenever we share new content each week, which, remember, is shared every Tuesday at 11 a.m., I'm Pastor Josh, your co-host and senior pastor here at ABF, and this has been Pastor Monty. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. <laughs>